A question from yesterday I didn't have time to respond to concerning bringing happiness to the heart in uncontrived, non-clinging ways. Where is the balance between cultivating good feelings and allowing unhappiness to be felt and to be known? This is a chitta-based approach. So I'm using the word heart because it's the easiest, least technical word. We might also carry it's a little deeper than that. It also refers to just open, where the emotional tides cease. So it then doesn't one exactly call it heart, but it's like a, an open heart uh, still retains that uh, sensitivity to it. So this is actually what the Buddha said, this is what gets liberated. It gets straight to the point. The chitta is liberated from the asava through non-clinging. That's a repeated phrase. Asava is tidal floods of reflexes, of surging, reactive forces, energies, that swirl, push out or, or saturate the mind with you know, all kinds of habitual responses, grasping, clinging, fever for, for stimulation, mm-hmm. desperate, trying to find security, identity, anxiety, get the future known, get it, all that tremendous pressure. Mm-hmm. So liberation from these, and sometimes you can summarize that as liberation from non-clinging, it's a little deeper than that, it's not exactly from non-clinging, but from upadi. Upadi is the substrate, the, uh, the foundation, foundational realm of confusion. Um, mm, uh, <laughs> the results of clinging, if you like. Uh, the patterns, the habits, the perceptions the aggregates. Okay, get into more language here, but uh, established perceptions of self, established perceptions of what reality is as a realm of sense consciousness. Mm. That, you know, that's that's Upadi. That, that's, you know, most people are just navigating in that particular grasped realm which actually supports grasping you have to reach out and hold on to a sight or a sound or a personality or a future or a past the whole realm of time and space is a party uh, a foundational basis and there can be liberation from that timeless non-locational you know and that's considered extremely happy <laughs> in a refined way. It's like the relief of coming out of pressure, the relief of a burden, the relief of the push of this asava and the push of craving. So it's the happiness of relief, the nibbana, unbinding, coming out of a trap. 
come out of a smoke-filled room and getting fresh air. Ah, you know, landing on a solid planet rather than flailing around in midair. Ah, you know, release from that reflexive tangling and struggling. This is the happiness. Uh, so jitta, that which experiences all this stuff, pressure, you know, anxiety, need to have, to belong, to be, uh, self-reference, maintaining a continuous personality, that which moves out towards stimulation for happiness, that is chitta. It's not a thought, it's not an idea, it's a, a reflexive system. And uh, the Buddha says there's nothing can do so much harm as an ill-trained chitta or an untrained chitta. Nothing can be so destructive. Nothing can do you so much good as a well-trained chitta. And the chitta's release from all grasping is beyond words. This is sublime. This is peaceful. The stilling of sankhara, destruction of craving, dispassion, ceasing, nibbana, the relinquishment of the, of the aggregates of the substrate. Don't need that anymore. So, just in ordinary kind of hands-on immediate terms, mm. uh, you know, the, the hap- beginning of the happiness comes from understanding where this deeper happiness can be found. And so, you know, this is the dawning of understanding, vicha, clarity, as opposed to avicca, which is one of the fundamental outflows, obscuration, clouding, distortion, not seeing, not realizing. So realizing our happiness is somewhere here rather than out there. Uh The least you know, that's a relief, no nowhere to look. One is relief from the making continual blunders and errors, running, you know, climbing the wrong mountain, barking up the wrong tree. You know, putting a lot of effort into you know, doing nothing that is lasting. Someone gets that sense of, you know, it's not blissful, but it's kind of sober. Okay, now I know where to go. That's a relief. And then more immediately, we say, start to cultivate that which enjoys generosity. You know, that's happy. It's not a compulsion, it's not obligation. It's a sense of, once we begin to acknowledge we don't live in this world alone, that's happiness. It may not be blissful, but it's a sense of there are other sentient beings here with sentiency who one can respond to and feel encouraged by, befriended by, understanding from, get some feedback from. You're not in a complete prison. Isolation. Oh, oh, that's a little bit better. You know, if there's two of us struggling down a mountain, it's better than one of us. (laughs) 
you know, struggling is not great, but if I've got a friend, that, that takes some of the pressure off it. Now, this is the clearing way of ignorance, because, of course, the, the unawakened person thinks it's all me. It's all in me. Me and mine. And, unfortunately, that view can be uh, emblazoned on our culture, competitive culture. Mm. on your own that's good work it out on your own that's better independent person that's better than being one of these pathetic dependent people <laughs> in fact the independent person is dependent upon food air, water that's <laughs> ignored that doesn't count the independent person is dependent upon eating other creatures oh, that doesn't count <laughs> independent person is dependent upon being born by a mother oh, that doesn't count did need a father, well that doesn't count either. Did need six people to get you born, oh, that doesn't count. The independent person is pretty ignorant. <laughs> They're dependent upon ignorance. <laughs> and look at the damage that does. You know, nothing else counts apart from me. And the, the, the pain of it all, because it's also miserable. You know, the heart can't expand within that frame of reference. Yeah. Desperate to get it by itself. That's, that's not an ample, that's not an amplitude of heart, that's a constriction. It's a construction that flies in the face of reality. And ignorance will support such obvious deceit and delusion. Yeah. So you say, so, well, I've got to work it out for myself. Sure, this is this is the hot spot. You know, this chit is the hot spot. But it's also living in a relational experience and being affected by things. So yeah, this you say yourself. In this case, you're referring to not to some personality, but the chitta. The chitta is your empirical experience of I am before the names start arising. It's another way of looking at it. So, right view. There is good, there is uh, bad, there is mother, there is father. There is the value of what is offered, what is given, what is sacrificed. There is mother, there is father. There are beings who are born. There are those who through their own practice have realized this world and the world beyond. Oh, we're in a field. We're an element in a field of all these different potential intelligences and and energies, growth energies and support energies. We're in that. There's a certain happiness, you could say, in sensing there's a potential, there's a treasure here that we could touch into. And right in the hot spot of that is we can cultivate and understand a skillful state. <laughs> and then we start to look at the word skillful. Now of course we talk about right and wrong 
That's a way of translating the language. It's standard, classical way of translating the language. Simple. Doesn't always work so well. You know, when we look at something fulfilling, fulfilling, samma, fulfilled, fulfilling. And not fulfilling, bleak, going nowhere. Right? Wrong. There are certain energies that are fulfilling. There's a certain perspective that leads to fulfillment. Oh, that's different. Because the heart experiences not right and wrong. That's a judgment which can be useful, but the heart doesn't get things in that black-white way. It senses itself being fulfilled or constricted or stuck in a dead end. So we cultivate, begin to understand this is called the dawning of right view. Just as the sun rises at you know, lights in the sky, right view dawns. And that's the way too. Ignorance abates, darkness recedes, light dawns. It's a soft, graduated process. That's the nature of heart in its skillful state. So we understand this, we also sense it doesn't suddenly become high noon on day one. It's, oh, that seems possible. Oh yeah, that's right. That's the nimitta <laughs> called faith. Sign of faith. Oh, that's possible. Then Bearing with it, lingering with it, staying with it. Getting down to the details. What is fulfilling? What actions, what intentions are fulfilling? How do I know they're fulfilling? And, you know, so what, <laughs> you could say. But in this training, teaching of the Buddha, truth means anything that validates the ending of suffering. You feel it. Whereas we might say in a more classical materialist um, world, truth is validated by observation, measurement, machines, devices, things of this nature, called objective, objective truth. And that's measured with artificial things, such as a mile, 
a mile is a mile. Wherever you go, that's a mile. It's a mile in Africa, it's a mile in Egypt, it's a mile in Italy, it's the same old mile. But it it doesn't exist. (laughs) It's objectively true, it doesn't actually exist. It's just a way of measuring reality, isn't it? So you end up adopting the measurements and skipping the reality. A mile, a mile walking the mountains is not a mile walking down the street. It's not <laughs> totally different. So we say, well, forget that. And anything that the idea of there being an objective reality, there isn't. There's a subjective reality, truth, which is suffering is increased this way and lessened that way. That's the validity of the kind of truth the Buddha is pointing to. That's felt in the heart. Any degree of that going in the fulfilling way is called happiness. Yeah, so we so, say, well, the happiness of sila because you're not getting the sour regret remorse experience you're not getting the dependencies of stuff outside you're establishing your core presence and integrity as the unit of measurements not the dollar or the shape of the body no, that, that's kind of, there's nothing much you can do about that, really. Immediately, you can establish integrity and keep establishing it. This gives you the happiness of not chasing the wrong track and dawning slowly, ignorance diminishes, the clouds of ignorance diminish. The motivations shift, one is feeling more assured, more confident. This, above all else, is my orientation. It has to be, because this is the only place I feel centered. The chitra is centered, stabilized, clarified, set back upon its own sensitivity. This gives me back to myself. So there's a kind of happiness to, but of course one has has to recollect it, not just do it, but recollect it, remember, consider, notice the non-harming, the non-blaming, the non-manipulation, the non-belittling, and instead there's a tenderness and a scrupulousness, and a cleanness. And you get through a day, and you think, that was okay. That's okay. When that's okay, I could be with things that I don't really like, or frighten me, 
or really get me angry, but I can be with it without getting into this reactivity of unskillful states. Wow, thank goodness. Not not everybody can do that. So I guess that's another kind of happiness. And these are happiness that don't come through clinging, but through exactly the opposite. Because instead of clinging to phenomena, we're relating to them from a stable place. Withdrawn from reactivity. So once we acknowledge that, this withdrawing from reactivity is skillful, helpful, doesn't mean don't respond, but the blind reactivity, the compulsive reactivity is something, wait, pause. It's called heedfulness. You can sum it up as pause. Once you pause for 10 seconds, 5 seconds, 3 seconds, 1 second. Oh, wait a minute, you can feel that. Whoops. Just let that one move through. Heedfulness. Heedfulness is the path to the deathless. The heedless are dead already. Okay, listen up. Doesn't seem very significant, it's massively significant. It reminds us we have a property of non clinging that can be encouraged, used, has to be used. The sense then of some urgency, some energy is needed, and faith is then boosted by energy. I know what to do, I know to just sense those triggers and just pause. Let the energy move through. Some wisdom arises, ignorance diminishes. So it's like this. And then response from that disengagement, withdrawn from sense contact, doesn't mean we don't sense things, we're not triggered by the sense contact. Then there can be the response instead of the reaction. And the tart then, oh, I can respond. I could say, that's okay. I could say, thank you. I could say, you know, I could respond. And the responsiveness brings forth capacity for goodwill, equanimity, compassion. That's pretty happy to be able to do that. Ignorance diminishes, craving is lessened, sankharas, turbulent energy flows wrap around the chitta, thrust it into the world of sense consciousness, losing their grip. Oh, that's good. As it said, vijja pachaya sankara sankara pachaya vijnana vijnana pachaya namarupa and so on, this whole mass of suffering. 
So with diminution of ignorance, sankharas, these compulsive formations, compulsive programs, fear, guilt, craving, person forming, begin to abate, and is no longer thrown into vijnana, sight, sound, touch, thought, as my real home. Now the unawakened being is thrown into that. Desperate. Because it's like, you know, you throw a turkey into a, into a sack, it's going to struggle, isn't it? <laughs> well, I'm trapped. Struggle, it starts thrashing around. Sankaras get going. Throw it into a kind of a dark sack of ignorance. It starts thrashing around. What, what, what's going on? Well, Sankaras start going. And then, get out. So it's looking to, to find something in that. Yeah. Sense consciousness starts touching it. Throws itself out towards those things. And what does it get? Kick, <laughs> a cuddle, a stroke that passes. More, more. Yeah. And remembers them. Perceptions remain of the time I was stroked or kicked or whatever. Remain. Perceptions are established. Then one's world arises. Nama Rupa Vijnana. World of form, labeling, memory, perceptions and this urge to find the right one, and so forth. This is the beginning of that process, the underweaving of upadi, substrate of suffering. Any time we're relieved from that, suffering diminishes, happiness arises. It's not the happiness of stimulation, it's the happiness of returning home. It's the happiness of taking weight off. It's the happiness of coming out of a dense sack of ignorance where you just don't know up or down. This is how it heart is moved by that. Um, so the Buddha as you know, presented this path very directly as this is the path to the ending of suffering, recognizing how instinctively important it is for the heart to feel comfortable. And rather than saying you shouldn't be attached to comfort, get over it, <laughs> and say, no, there is a place of higher comfort than the stuff you're getting. <laughs> I don't know where it is. Follow me. You think, hey, I like the sound of this fellow. <laughs> and that's more or less what he said. Yeah. When he first entered the deer park, and he was completely radiant and fulfilled, complete, radiant, fulfilled, and his friends who didn't want to know him looked up and he was that. Wow. And they decided they weren't going to pay him any attention once he walked in. What's that? They immediately got up, gave him a seat, 
they sit down before he even opened his mouth because of the, the radiance of that fulfilled state could feel it, sense it so this is directly experienceable but looking in the right place it's the heart that's confused, it's the heart that's clarified it's the heart that suffers, it's the heart that's liberated the heart weaves its craziness and it also dismantles its craziness we have to refer to that and in its unfortunate state it gets so that it becomes even muted and cut off because of pressure and stress and confusion it eventually begins to just silences itself and this certainly occurs with, in a non-relational world this is very much the case non-relational world independent people surrounded by systems and machines your number, your date, get on with it that kind of thing, it just basically just closes down there's no room here the relational world it doesn't certainly one of one of the transformed experiences in my life was when I first went to India from living in Britain and Europe and travelling across from Europe through the east to India coming into cultures that still experienced relationship there still were villages, families, tribes shopkeepers who knew each other who bargained and haggled with each other they weren't just you didn't just punch a, car, a, a button you talked to them and worked out a deal with them and they looked at you and okay, okay, we can work it out and a bit of an argument and, oh, my friend you actually relate and if you didn't relate, it was, it was no point they didn't want to have people come to the shop who didn't relate, it was no fun so they give you a bit of a work over and oh, and then, yeah, I've got my friend who made a bargain here you know, so everybody's happy <laughs> relational culture and then going to India you see people who look extremely impoverished um, and they're, they're kind of happy uh, particularly children and they're going happy and this kid's hardly got any clothes on his back and he still looks better than I did <laughs> With my university degree and clothes and money, and it sort of caught up myself. What's the point of life? What's the meaning of it all? Should I do this? Depressed? And this kid goes, hey. <laughs> <laughs> We belong here, you know. And you think, I don't. I don't belong anywhere. I'm just, wow, disconnected from the earth, disconnected from everything except my own thinking mind yeah, which is not giving me any fulfilment at all there's where the transformations for me again something like that you suddenly get this is the wrong path it's the wrong instrument you're using the wrong instrument using the mind intelligent educated mind 
nothing wrong with that. But if you only use that, and the rest of you shuts down, you're in trouble. So, you know, how do you get into the heart when it's closed? Well, you start to use your body. Because the heart and the body are, are in alignment. So I noticed that my awareness of my body was pretty minimal, actually, mostly thinking, you know, whatever taste or sight, but awareness of the body, not much. So, okay, do some hatha yoga, for example, just get into the body. And for me, that's where it began. There is a body. And when, it, when it's gently exercised, the heart feels happy. Your relief, ease, thinking subsides. Sense of identity is softened just through doing this. <laughs> ah. um, so you kind of just begin to work these things out. Because as it's very obvious, what surges through the heart surges through the body. We certainly experience it in profound emotional surges of joy and sorrow. They're embodied, aren't they? So these powerful surges, perhaps lesser surges, are perceptible, become more perceptible as the heart opens. You begin to detect subtler qualities such as faith, a sense of, oh, slight delight, flushing of encouragement, uh, gratitude, contentment, subtler qualities who experience as subtler suffusions in an embodied sense. Not necessarily located in a particular place, but it's if the skin opens, as if the face lightens up. And you see it, you see it in others also, they light up. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So this is what you begin to track. And it's you can track it. And you see the Buddha's path describes it in pretty good detail. Pretty thorough detail, not just a kind of blind moment. Yeah. One who abides with precepts and lingers in the meaning is free from remorse. And one is free from remorse, one feels that happiness. Dwelling in that, one begins to experience relief in the body. One's heart feels gladdened. As one experiences relief in the body, one's heart feels happy. When one's heart is happy, this is samadhi. When there is samadhi, one sees clearly. Ignorance is abolished. Realisation comes to you. You don't have to seek it. It comes to you. Just like the dawn. You know, arises. You're looking at your clock, isn't going to make it happen. Getting impatient isn't going to make it happen, but if you do those cultivations, ignorance abates, dawn arises. And that's the process of heart.
As I suggested, this is uh, slow compared with our normal pace of life. And therefore one does need something substantial to stop just dozing off or spinning out. So using the firmness of the body, the walkingness of the body, the firmness of standing. You know, walking and feeling the coolness on your cheeks. Feeling the centering, stable core when you stand, when you move. You've got something quite definite which is always there with you. Core presence is always there. The energy of the body is always there. If you're alive, it's there. So it's actually finding this through the fairly coarser, more manifest aspects, such as sitting, standing, walking, reclining, and then begin to, to linger in that, to look right into the heart of where it, how it happens. And you will always come back to breathing in and out. But let that come. When you feel safe and centered, breathing in and out will come to you. Like the, like the, the sunlight coming up out in the sky. Oh, it was always there. And yet I was never in a place to, I wasn't in the place to receive it. It was always there, but I wasn't. I wasn't in the place to receive it. I was trying to find it somewhere. And that doesn't do receiving. Receiving happens somewhere else. So let's take some time, as I've said, for exploration. So let's take some time for direct practice.